This is Space Cats Peace Turtles, the unofficial podcast for Fantasy Flight's Twilight Imperium. Episode 232, the preliminary guide to the Ghosts of Creus and the Arborek. Music by Ben Prunty, featuring Matt Martins and Hunter Donaldson. Did I do ghosts the first time we ever did a guide about ghosts? Yeah, I think so. I'm so pretty come, sure the... We flipped. We fully flipped by today. By now, we are fully flipped. And I have done yeah. an Arborek thing, and you have done ghost things. Although, you've been a hot to trot ghosts fiend for a I'm while. I'm not hot to trot anything, Matt. I'm just a <laughs> humble, regular guy. What okay? I mean is your win rate for ghosts has been quite good on SCPT streams. I don't have a high win rate for anything. I'm just a normal, regular, average Joe, and I'm not here to claim that I am some sort of expert on anything, mm-hmm. about anything. Mm-hmm. I'm just like you, listener. I am a normal human person, and I will not have Matt blow smoke yeah. right now to try and make me seem like some sort of kingly little prince, Well, okay? I'm right there with you, and if anything, uh, I finally got to play a Homebrewers Guild stream last weekend. I got to do my first uh-huh. proper Homebrewers Guild. Why do we? Why do we do the strategy stuff of this of this podcast anymore? Why do we care? It's all about homebrew, mean? baby. It's all about just making stuff up. What do What do we care? Huh? Oh, so you play one homebrew game, uh-huh. and now you're just all about it. I do one lore ep- uh, monologue, one... and I'm all about lore. I play one homebrew You do homebrew one game. thing. <laughs> you do one thing of things, and you're like, I'm all about that, and also an expert that in it. Exactly you're going to eat a muffin and be like, I'm all hockey. about muffins? <laughs> all I like is muffins now? I had a blueberry muffin yesterday. Did you it know they was put so lemon? good. They, they can do lemon and poppy seed together. Delicious. Perfect. Wonderful. Delicious. <laughs> Perfect. I only want to eat muffins, muffin breakfast, <laughs> muffin dinner, muffin lunch. Okay, a munch if you want. A munch, a muffunch. Uh, yeah. Well, hey, should we do some uh, some quick little errata before we get into this probably very long episode of talking about two factions with kind of a lot to say? Yeah, except for also kind of not a lot to say. Yeah. I think I think we're talking about two factions, two two sick puppy type yeah. factions where I feel like the pressure is not necessarily on to get it right. I think it's these two factions are about being open to possibilities, which is not something that we can just teach you easily. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that neither of these factions are uh, solved in that they might get better over the next year. Who knows? Probably not. They might literally get better over potential Omega components and code. I mean, we we, we have reason to believe there's going to be many codices this year. uh, And so who knows what is it's the 25th anniversary of Twilight Imperium, everybody. Happy 25th anniversary. Um, so it's going to be a big year, hopefully. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Matt, give us this errata. Yeah, so the, so last week we were just talking about expansion wishlist. So I wanted to share some other people's uh, expansion wishlist. The first one is from What's a Sandwich? What 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 a sandwich? What a sandwich. Uh, so we were talking about mercenaries, Hunter, and just sort of vamping yeah. on the idea of how to bring back mercenaries. And this was just a, a, a lobbed out idea. If people could spend influence after the agendas 
to buy mercenaries. So if you, you know those, you know those second agendas where you're like, I guess I'll throw all my votes at it because I don't care. What if you didn't care and could save your votes to then buy the mercenaries and your influence is what was your bidding power to get actual uh, physical force in the round? I like it. I like it too, although it does seem like it might make agenda phase even slower. Yeah. Because now there's another thing to think about whenever you are committing votes right. to a thing, you know? But maybe, I don't know, maybe it, it wouldn't change that part too much. And also, uh, I think it would be cool. I don't know. I think it'd be cool if there was uh, an aspect of the game. I remember when we, when we were talking about it in last week's episode, the thing that I most like that we came up with actually i might have said it so i might just be talking about an idea i had i don't remember um but the idea of there just being like three mercs that are available right and you just get those three and that's it there's that's not the game looks right like what i didn't like about mercenaries in ti3 was that it was this long list of mercenaries they were all available every game um and there were only a couple that people considered really good so this would be like, ha imagine that whole deck, but you only deal three to the table. So only those three mercenaries showed up in the universe right. that we know about that you could even uh, yeah. even buy their services off of. So it'd be it'd be make every game a little different, and it'd yeah. be an exciting moment for like tournament streams whenever we deal the mercenaries. The you yeah, know? that's cool. Uh, I have a second errata here, uh, and it's from me. It's from Matt Martin's uh, after playing Whoa. his homebrew game. Uh, okay. Which is just I now I now want to add. Okay, so here's the thing: we played with a bunch of wacky strategy cards. They were ridiculous. Whatever. It was a fun, goofy game. But one genuine insight that I think myself and all of the players gleaned from that game after having played it. We talked about it for a few minutes uh, after that game. But we basically played with a new version of politics, uh, where mm -hmm. you also got to peek at a public objective, and then you got to reveal a public objective. Whoa. So there were twice as many, there was the potential for twice as many objectives to come out per round, right? Because uh -huh. if you don't take this politics, then you don't, you don't reveal an extra one. So whatever, there was like one round where somebody didn't take it. But regardless, the game was awesome. <laughs> like it was so genuinely good to have like a stage two revealed in round two. And a bunch of us kind of be like, well, I might not be able to do that, but maybe I could. And like to start working on it and our game also timed out at the end or was about to time out at the end of round five because we were going to we were revealing the last we had already revealed the final stage two objective because politics was revealing so many. So it put all of these extra two pointers on the board for people to fight for. Guac wasn't a thing. Uh, support for the thrones weren't like the biggest deal in the world. And uh, it was great. I mean, it just shook up that meta so much that it, to me, it is now like the number one thing worth considering for like a potential ninth strategy card or where you and I talked about our, our new strategy card set. That is like got to be in it for me. This, the idea of revealing extra objectives per round. It was great. Hmm. That's interesting. I mean, do you feel like it just made the game easier, though? Because I feel like it would no, just make because the game it, easier. Because some of those stage two, I mean, at least with the stage twos we got, and maybe maybe in a perfect world, you'd have to like really go back and rebalance it. Like this is maybe more a thought that's like, oh, if we ever have TI fifth edition, it should feel like this or whatever, because it might be too many things to change for fourth edition. But to me, the objectives that we got 
were varied enough and hard enough that it's not like you just could do them and just it just sped everything up. It's like, you know, we had like Achieve Supremacy and five empty systems and five systems on the edge of the game board, which meant it like there was a lot of <laughs> push and pull and tug of rope, you know, tug of war stuff happening yeah. within those objectives. So it made everything significantly more dynamic rather than like we all finish our stage ones and then someone's got the guac and they win and that's all that matters. It was like... Every almost every single one of us had a chance to win in the end, which kind of made initiative order also just as whatever as always. But um, our game was broken in other ways, too, because we had like really stupid secret objectives. So like it's hard to like fully judge this game because it was whack in like a dozen different ways. But right. I, I genuinely the public objectives were normal public objectives and and feeling a stage two come out in round two and three was cool and good and changed like how your scoring tempo works in a very fun way. Hmm. That's interesting. I, I mean, I'm a little bit suspicious, yeah. but I'm also not. Um, it was I, one I, game. It deserves more testing. It deserves more work. You know, the this strategy no, card Matt, alone I th- wasn't I enough. I think we should just 100 percent commit to this <laughs> idea, Matt. Yeah. I mean, you did. The you played the one transferring game. Over. Yeah. You played the one game and you did like it. Okay. <laughs> muffin breakfast, muff, muffin lunch, muffin dinner. I mean, okay. that sounds exactly like how Clan Asar was designed. Was like Dane designed Sar was like, hey, I liked that game. I I kicked everybody's butt. Let's do that. <laughs> there we go. Ship it. Clan Asar rules, dude. <laughs> All right, I have one more piece of errata here, and it's from the Embracer Group, which is the large organization purchasing Asthma Day. They put out a thing. I just wanted to—I wanted people to know this. They put out this uh, like investor packet. I don't know, it's businessy stuff. Who cares? But there was a specific thing in it, and them talking about the fact that they bought Asthma Day, which Asthma Day owns Fantasy Flight, which owns Twilight Imperium, and there was a specific mention of them looking to—and I quote turbocharge Asmodee's rich board game intellectual property into video games and Twilight Imperium was one of the IPs listed in that box of like IPs they would love to be able to turn into video games. Wow. That's like wow. a wild thing. So what I mean what does that mean? I That's know, big, who knows? Right? It probably means nothing. It probably means like oh we could do that. What if we did that? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I bet for us, I bet for me and you Matt, it means nothing. Mm-hmm. It means nothing at all. Absolutely um, nothing. Yep. But it does sound cool. I don't know. I think a cool I think a digital board game version of Twilight Imperium would be a great idea. Yep. Uh you know, if if em, if Embracer Group is listening, uh hit us up. Yeah. We've got we've got ideas. I don't know how to make a game. I don't know how to make a game, but you <laughs> should hit us up. That's your job. <laughs> That's your job. That's your job. Um, okay, what are we doing today, Matt? Is oh, it time boy. we got to do time. this? We got to. This is the last one, right? Well, we're done with the preliminary. We're doing extra. I think that oh, we're yeah, both, we both we both begrudgingly have to do extra, and we're ta- the combo with extra will be like the wrap up finale. So here in a couple within a couple weeks, we will do extra plus finale of the prelim guides, and then we will be officially done. Oh man, I forgot. I thought I thought I was going to be able to just move on from this already. <laughs> I mean, you um, could. I could just play a couple extra games, and we you can get play past extra. You yeah. you really care about it, and <laughs> honestly, y'all like you're the you're the brains behind the operation, oh, anyways. You know what? Mm-hmm. Like I'm just the muscle here. Okay, <laughs> that's what I am. Um, all right, let's do Ghost of Creus. Let's get it. this over with. Okay. Um, pull pull up. Yep, Matt, if you would pull up those those rich rich components for me. <clears throat> I've got them ready. Do you want to hear about the Ghosts of Creus starting units and tech? 
I want to hear about the starting units in tech, please. Well, let me tell you about Shaleri Passage. Its population is unknown. Its government is unknown. Its leadership is unknown. Its disposition? Enigmatic. And its tendencies? Expansionist. This is... I don't know why they have to include all the unknown stuff. I love these things. But, uh, okay, their starting tech is Gravity Drive. They're fast. Pretty they go good. Fast. Their starting good. units like that. is a single carrier, four nope. infantry, two destroyers... Okay two fighters, and a space dock. All right. What are their abilities, though, Matt? Like, what are these ghosts What are these ghosts good for? Hey, they've got quantum entanglement. You treat all systems that contain either an alpha or beta wormhole as adjacent to each other. Uh, game effects cannot prevent you from using this ability. Interesting. Especially that last part. You always got to remember that last part. No matter, There's like one agenda yeah. that applies to, uh, and all the other agendas are just bad for you. <laughs> right. <laughs> there's one good thing that can happen to you. Hilariously, too, this is not future-proof for POK, so gamma wormholes did not get to be uh, included in this, the oh, new, you'd, the new you'd, gamma. I mean, I always thought that was intentional, right? That that it was alpha and betas only? Like, yeah. I, always, I, I, I felt like it was... A kind of smart limit that had been placed yeah. on ghosts so as to uh, make sure to not give them i mean i guess in the end they do have really easy access to malice right uh which is the the only thing that it would really apply to beyond yeah. um just alphas and betas um but they got two Anyways, more what else they yeah they yeah. got slipstream uh, during your tactical actions apply plus one to the move value of each of your ships that starts its movement in your home system or a system that contains either an alpha or beta wormhole. That's easy to forget, honestly. Nah, nah. So I, mean, I, nah I well, I'm nah. saying I'll think gammas and deltas apply, but they once again don't. It's home system only. The Shaleri Passage doesn't count. Oh. There's like all these little things where I would be very quick to assume I could use any wormhole as my plus one boost, and that is not the case. That is not the case. Yeah, actually, you got to remember, it does not apply to gammas, and it does not apply to the Creus Gate either, yeah. right? Right, yeah. which, let's talk about that. It's kind of technically a third ability. The Creus Gate is when you create the game board, you place the Creus Gate where your home system would normally be placed. The Creus Gate system is not a home system. Then place your home system in your play area. They've got that little spirally home system. There one, there's one space removed from the board, Hunter. Yeah. I, I remember uh, a game I played where someone reminded me about the slipstream thing and it was like a devastating moment yeah. where like I couldn't, I, I realized that I could not use it to move a ship so far out of the Creus gate yeah. and it like that ship was going to make the difference in this combat and then I lost the combat and uh, ended up losing uh, that game. Wow. You said at the beginning of this, uh, when you were trying to gas me up, that I have a very high uh, ghost win rate. That's actually not true. I think I lost like four games yeah. as ghosts well, prepping for this episode. I'm thinking more about base game and remembering Holiday Spectacular. I think two years in a row you won Holiday Spectaculars as ghosts explicitly. <laughs> so... <laughs> yeah that might be true i don't know i don't think it is but um there are four commodity faction uh, i just want to go ahead and get their uh home system yep. out of the way uh it is called creus uh it is a four resource two influence planet um four resources is good right i don't have to tell you why um matt could you tell me about that flagship yeah their flagship is the hill kalish the phil collins as you'll often hear us refer to it on uh on our streams or whatever it's an old joke don't ask phil collins it sounds the same right okay this ship's system 
contains a delta wormhole. That's the type of wormhole that your home system and the Shaleri Passage have. During movement, this ship may move before or after your other ships. It has sustained damage at cost eight. It's got a combat of a single die on a five. The only yeah. flagship that only rolls one die. I mean, I guess, except for Winu when it's against one other ship. Anyways, that has one move three capacity. I hate that it only has one on mm -hmm. a five. I think it's really annoying. Um, the logic, apparently, I mean, this has just been assumed, uh, has to do with their faction tech, uh, which yeah. is called Dimensional Splicer. Um, in fact, actually, Matt, do you want to go ahead and do yeah. their faction tech now? Dimensional yeah. Splicer is a single red prerequisite, uh, and it is at the start of a space combat in a system that contains a wormhole and one or more of your ships. You may produce one hit and assign it to one of your opponent's ships. Yeah, so that's why the Phil Collinch doesn't uh, have doesn't hit two on a five because the idea is that the Phil Collins uh, is a always a wormhole, right? So you can always do dimensional splicer. Um, I think that dimensional splicer is just okay, right. maybe not even very good. Um, so therefore. It just means that your flagship is less good right. than other flagships, which is obnoxious. Yeah, the I would flagship say. assumes you will always research dimensional splicer, which you do not. And so then no. what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I wouldn't even say that I very much rely on the flagship too much yeah. uh, in general. Sure. It, it is not a cornerstone of the faction. What is their other faction tech, Matt? So we've got a wormhole generator Omega. So uh, if you if you are uh, an IRL player, don't go look through uh, the codex, codices and you can find this Omega tech for ghosts. It changes their two blue prerequisite blue tech into an action exhaust this card to place or move a Creus wormhole token into either a system that contains a planet you control or a non-home system that does not contain another player's ships. And it's worth noting those Creus wormhole tokens, it's a specific one of each uh, wormhole, an alpha, a beta, and then in POK, there was a gamma added. So you have three right. wormholes that you can place. Yeah. Um, and also remember, so it's does not contain another player's ships, and also specifically, you cannot do it to home systems. Mm -hmm. um, just in general, doesn't matter if there's player ships there at all. Um, that doesn't quite. So let's go ahead and read the uh, what is the promissory yeah. note map? The Creus IFF is at the start of your turn during the action phase. Place or move a Creus wormhole token into either a system that contains a planet you control or a non-home system that does not contain another player's ships. Sounds familiar. Yeah. Then return this card to the Creus player. Yeah. So those are like the two primary ways that you can move your wormholes out. You can give uh, other people um, the chance to move your wormholes, but you can also generate them uh, yourself with wormhole generator. Um, last thing we should talk about, Matt, is, of course, their leader suite and the mech. Yeah, the mech, to go off of Wormhole Generator and Creus IFF, is a sustained damage, two-cost, six-combat mech, but it's after any player activates a system, not even the one that this thing is in, a system, yeah. you may remove this unit from the game board to place or move a Creus Wormhole token into this system. Yes. So, um, the trigger there is happening all the time after any player activates a system any system for any reason uh remove the unit move the wormhole um this obviously means that whenever you send out uh whenever you give out creus iff you if you have a mech on a planet 
you can kind of always be like, you know what? I'm going to move. If you don't like where they place the wormhole, you can move it. Um, I would say, however, like when when um, POK first came out, people kept saying like, ah, like this really invalidates the Krius IFF promissory note because now you can kind of just like betray the person that yeah. you gave it to. I find personally when I'm in a game, it's not really worth it to get rid of my mech just to screw somebody over. Right. Now, if it's critical, sure. of course, I will. But a lot of the time, it is not critical. And I would consider somebody a ghost player that gives out the IFF and then just sort of threatens this to, to ruin your plan after making a deal with you to give you the IFF in exchange yeah. for something. I consider that bad form and right. bad uh, bad play in that uh, I just think it's uh, I think it's rude. I think it's a uh, that type of extortion stuff that I don't really go for. Um, I think that if you sell the IFF, it's understood that the player should get to use the IFF in order to do something yeah. interesting. Right. Um, because that's the other thing too, is I feel like the IFF kind of, kind of doesn't go for a lot these days when it's actually very powerful as like a wind slaying device mm -hmm. uh, in the late game. Um, real quick, uh, recently lost a game to Kaluan as I have many times, because <laughs> primarily, I mean, there were a lot of things that, that contributed to it, but I did uh, sell the IFF for research agreement round one, and then, because uh, Kaloon was playing as Jolnar, which it's like, why did we let that happen? Like, why why would we, I don't understand why yeah. we did that. Why we let, um, yeah, why we let Kaloon play Jolnar. Yeah, it doesn't while, really make while sense. While you and I um, were playing Ghosts and Arbrek, we never stood a chance. That was a joke right, of a game. Th yeah, that's a joke of a game. Um, <laughs> But I gave away the IFF for research agreement, which uh, and it was for a good tech. So I was like, all right, cool. And it was going to help me score because uh, it was two unit upgrades mm -hmm. came out, um, which seemed like a good deal, right? Except for Kaluan didn't use it, just held on to it all game. And then when it came time to win slay Kaluan, it was impossible to use the IFF to do it. Right. Um, which So yeah, always remember that the Creus IFF promissory note is most useful as a round five win slay device. Right. Um, anyway, sorry. Well, it's also, it's also there. to, to get past the thing you were just talking about, um, the, the best way to sell it is the moment they're going to use it. Right. It's like, Hey, right. their turn is right now. Sell it to them. They pop it. And then they do the thing. Um, yeah, I, I would also say the other thing that like to, to go to equally into your point of like, Hey, don't just use mechs to screw over the IFF player. There's wormholes all over the place these days. I mean, they're, they're, yeah. the, the ion storm spawns, gammas pop up. Malice is there. It's like. It used to be that like wormholes truly opened up the game board to like completely new potential, and now it's like, listen, man, you can get anywhere whenever you want to get there, so it's gonna be fine. Um, so yeah, I I just think it. I agree, it's just bad form to like be that vindictive. You only use it when you got it. The mechs are mechs. You need them, huh? Yeah, yeah, and also they're more useful uh, on your turn in order to suddenly open up. Yes. So like like if you let someone place a wormhole somewhere and it just gets left there. Then what's nice is you can, you know, because alpha and betas, betas are connected for you, right? So on your activation, you turn one of your mechs into a beta, travel to that alpha, right. and all of a sudden, because people, I feel like all, people always forget exactly how many places you can get right. as ghosts. It's like one of the main things you have going for you is that a lot of times people don't keep track of how much range mm -hmm. you personally have, because a lot of the time you can get almost everywhere yeah. on the map if you <laughs> right. wanted to right you know uh their agent is emissary tyvra the azure whisper uh after a player activates a system 
that contains a non-Delta wormhole, you may exhaust this card. If you do, that system is adjacent to all other systems that contain a wormhole, any wormhole, during this tactical action. Yeah, kind of a weird, pretty weird. Yeah. Uh, the thing I always forget is that you have it that the system you're activating has to contain a wormhole. Right. And then we connect that wormhole to all the other wormholes. Um, but it's mostly just used to take malice round one <laughs> right. with a carrier. Yeah. Um, that's the main thing that you use it for. Yeah. Um, any any other that, time, doesn't see even as much the use. ghost's player has to be like reminded that maybe it could, like someone else could activate Lodor and then like a third player could be like, oh, wait, hey, ghosts could help you send more stuff. And the ghost player is like, oh, well, huh? oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you want to use my agent? Sure. Okay, cool. Well, it's such a specific situation that yes. someone else would be able to use it. Right. You know what I mean? Because they got to have access to two wormhole. Like they got to yes. be activating a space with a wormhole and, and then have other ships on at the end of some other wormhole. Yeah. It's just it's kind of it's it's a, it's a little cumbersome, the agent. But never forget that you have it. Uh, it can be useful, especially in the late game. Uh, yeah. in order to like kind of let you set up for a specific it's just most of the time in round five when it comes winslay time um the wormholes on the map are not exactly in the system that you need to go to because you can't really get wormholes into a home system so therefore this agent doesn't help you get directly into a home system but it might help you get right next to one with a lot of ships which is good Let's talk about their commander, Psy Cerevus. Uh, the unlock is to have units in three systems that contain alpha or beta wormholes. Can, can, on some maps, kind of a tricky unlock. Not not yeah. always, but sometimes. I mean, we had a game the other day uh, where ghosts never did it uh, until like Yeah, the final I didn't round. do it. Yeah. I didn't do it the other day. Um, and also like, well, I mean, go ahead and read the ability, yeah. but it's not very good. So. so Gate Warden, after your ships move for each ship, that has a capacity value and moved through one or more wormholes, you may place one fighter from your reinforcements with that ship if you have unused capacity in the active system. Yeah. Uh, really don't like this ability. Yeah. Um, and I would say that because the unlock is kind of hard, or it's not that it's hard, right? Like it's have units in three systems that contain alpha or beta wormholes is not difficult. But... Like, if, if you were trying to specifically do that, yeah. you would accomplish that. Is it worth the effort? Absolutely not, right. I would say. Right. In most cases, this is going to net you a, a fighter or two. Right. I, I don't see it ever being critical. Um, a, lot of, a lot of the times people unlock this commander and then even forget that they can do this. Yeah. Um, it just really doesn't... I don't know. It's yeah. very underwhelming. It's it, um, it's either underwhelming or and then you see people use it like in a gimmicky way. That's like, OK, that's fine. But also it's like, oh, my God, why did we have to do so? Like, you know, when you just are kind of like activating your own forward dock or something, there's like the idea of like, well, any ships that could maybe do some movement, you can like make them go out of and back through the wormhole just uh -huh. to like spawn yeah. some free just fighters. But it's like, fighters, oh, great. Yeah. OK, I like it's just one of those like very technical saving a dollar sort of things that i can't get behind yeah it's 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 a weird it's a weird commander um we won't really be talking about it much going yeah. forward but yeah <laughs> and finally the star of the show it's singularity reactor their hero is as an action swap the positions of any two systems that contain wormholes or your units 
other than the Creus system and the wormhole nexus. That's the two warpy ones. You can't swap those around. Then yeah. purge this card. Yeah. Um yeah, it's uh this is this one is really interesting. Um it's it allows you to do a lot of uh really weird stuff. Now, um I want to throw this out here now. So for most of the abilities that we have that place wormholes, there is a special clause that says non-home system. Mm-hmm. Wormhole generator says non-home system. Prius IFF says non-home system under any circumstance. The one that doesn't say that <laughs> is Icarus Drive. Yeah. After any player activates a system, you may remove this unit from the game board or to place or move a Creus wormhole token into this system. So you get a mech into yeah. someone's home system. It right. doesn't need to be on on the planet. Yeah. Just in the space. That is how you get a wormhole into someone else's home system. And then you can use this hero to move that home system wherever, wherever you want. <laughs> so always remember that. Yes. You 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 cannot get wormholes into the home system. Except for using any other ability except for the mech. But that should be something you never forget. Um, other thing, uh, you know, obviously it's a lot easier to get a wormhole into Mechatol Rex um, as there's no there's no clause that says, oh, you can't do it. You just got to make sure that there's uh, no other yeah. um, no other ships in the system or whatever. Um, but yeah, it's a it it it's a great ability. It's very goofy. It does not help you win the game. It can help you win slay. Uh-huh. It's mostly just a very strange possibility like opener essentially. Yeah. It's like as wild as Nova Seed but even less useful specifically to the ghost player generally speaking. Like on average it is less useful yeah. to the ghost player than Nova Seed is to the Muat player. Yeah, I would say that that's pretty true. Um so I will describe the exact situation that I recently got into with um, the hero, which was that I used this the potential of this ability to ransom a home system. Uh-huh. Now, I've already said in this episode, and in general, I do not like uh, certain types of extortion. That uh, Extortion that uh, involves the entire table, I generally do not like. Yeah. But if I have committed to using a big time ability to screw over one specific player. That's the type of extortion that I like committed, like very real extortion on one individual that involves me doing things to commit yeah. to making the threat real, right. not just I'm playing an action card. Yeah. So I, I did the, the, the situation I described by getting the mech into someone's home system, removing the mech in order for there to be a wormhole there. Uh, and then threatened to use the hero ability to move that home system uh, next to my, uh, like basically into my slice is what yeah. I said I was going to do. Right. Um, although I guess it wouldn't have really mattered where I moved it. It just would have been very inconvenient for that player. And they likely would not have had a chance of, of winning the game anymore. Yeah. Um, and I said that on condition, uh, I would do that unless they gave me their speaker token. Right. Uh, the, the they had politics. Right. Um, so this was going to give me the speaker going into round five. It worked. They did give it up to me because I think they would. They 
essentially wanted to um, still have some kind of shot. Yeah. It would have completely destroyed any ability for them to to win the game. Although I think they were going to become like fifth pick in round five. Yes. So uh, from still my, very from my perspective, it threw my game also into the toilet, which was a, a hilarious byproduct of that because I was going to be second pick and I became fourth pick. So that actually was you were going to be first pick because you had. Oh, yeah, that's right. I was going to be first pick because they were passing it backwards to me. And then, yes, you made it go the other way. So I was I became fourth or fifth pick or whatever. So, yeah, threw my Arborect chances into the toilet with a good move. I mean, a good. I, I there was no bad blood because it's like, hey, listen, he used the ghost hero in a good way for once. What a what a splendid sight to behold. I mean, I think I think most of the time when people use it, it's it's advantageous for them. Mm-hmm. It's just that too often, as Ghost of Krius, you aren't in a good position to win in round five anyways. Right. So you might use it to, let's say, move Mechatol Rex to you. Okay, well, that's useless unless you you're going to have Imperial <laughs> in round five. Right. And maybe you're not going to have that. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's very... So Mechatol Rex is, obvi- is the most obvious target for the hero. And sorry sure. we've spent so much time talking about the hero, but it does make sense, I think, to talk about it this much. Um. Mechatol Rex is the most obvious target. However, if uh, basically if uh, if you do that and you can't really get anything off of it, then there's then you sort of wasted the hero. Yeah. However, the only other targets that make a lot of sense are other people's home systems, and that's more of a Winslay thing. Although there are a few cases where it might be that that you've made it easier for you to score a stage two. Yeah. One thing I like to note is that rule distant lands is a really difficult mm-hmm. stage two that if people allow wormholes into their home system, <laughs> you can make that one easier. Yeah, right. Actually, you can, you can put stuff into the edge of the board. Hey, that one's also easier for ghosts anyways, because the Shaleri passage isn't a home system and it's on the edge of the game board right by their home system. So that's a nice little, right. uh, bonus for them. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, in general, I would say the hero is very flashy. It's very interesting. Um, it allows for some goofy play. Uh, it probably won't help you win the game. So I would plan to use it possibly for wind slaying most of the time is like where I would default. And then if another opportunity presents itself, go for it. Yeah. Never forget that you can do this, but it is not some sort of cornerstone of your strategy. In fact, I think the problem with ghosts is that we don't really have much of a cornerstone anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, as a lot of the things that we're good at, other players also got pretty good at. Yeah. We're still the best. I th- we're still the king of what we do, I think. But that being king of that is not as important yeah. as it used to be. Yeah. Um, let's kind of go back to the beginning and do some synthesis here for the last little bit of this guide. Um, let's talk about the beginning of the game. So your start kind of sucks. You get Malice uh, via the agent for free every, every game. That's three influence going into round two. And that's also two trade goods immediately. So we got four resources at home and two trade goods off Malice. That's a cool boon. But it's also kind of an annoying boon because you can't really get cocky about it because now you're a hot little target on the board. Mm-hmm. You didn't bring that much. I mean, you bought you brought probably a carrier and a fighter and hopefully not too many infantry. Maybe you brought two. I don't know. I wouldn't bring too many. Yeah. Basically, I wouldn't bring like three. That's like, that's, I think, an overcommitment because you need those infantry to go to other planets, right? That's right. Um, and the other problem is that, so yeah, like why, why would someone attack you? Well, there's actually quite a few <laughs> secret objectives that 
would you could easily look at as just like well attack ghosts at malice there's have units in the wormhole nexus there's become a gatekeeper which is have uh ships in a system with the alpha and beta the malice counts for both um and what's the other one there's one more legendary planet legendary planet yeah so just have a legendary planet so that's like three secret objectives that could translate to someone attacks you you know as early as round two on malice and takes it back from you that would suck you know right uh and also it can be kind of uh if you're not set up correctly you might not be able to retreat out of malice yeah which is not good right because you use your agent to get there it won't it's your agent won't allow you to retreat Mm -hmm. through that wormhole you know uh so you need to make sure to have a ship on an alpha or beta so that you can retreat out of the wormhole nexus so make sure that you make sure you you keep in mind what you can and can't do as far as movement right right um So uh, as far as uh, tech round one, I really like Sling Relay. Uh, sling, sling Relay, I think, allows you to not worry so much about maybe getting a second dock out there. You can kind of just focus on your one at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, it also helps you stall, stall obviously. Um, and like if, you're, if your opponents are doing a good job, uh, Maybe they won't let you do the warfare secondary round one, which right. would be critically bad for you. Yeah. So sling ensures that you get a second carrier for sure. Yeah. Um, however, if for some reason you don't want to go for sling, like I keep having these games where I want to get cool blue tech like DET um, or I want to get AI development algorithm, uh, but I haven't been able to get uh, it because I keep having to get anti-mass for various reasons. <laughs> right, yeah. You know, there are just games where you have to get anti-mass yes, for right. a point, basically. Um, and it's very annoying, actually, because I do not like getting anti-mass. Uh, it is not an interesting tech in any way. Right. Um, but yeah, keep DET in mind. Uh, and definitely AI development algorithm uh, is good so that we can just kind of go deep blue and get, um, you know, some solid uh, unit upgrades yeah. out of it. Yeah, um, uh, the the sling relay thing is very specifically a lot of people's favorite because of that. Like, like you said, you don't have to worry about warfare timing anymore, which means then all you're worried about is tech timing. Because the point to throw into this is our only goal is uh, to expand properly, and sling relay can be our carrier that we use the trade goods from malice and or plus their uh commodity value right they're in they're right. in all the wormholes which means they almost definitely get a trade partner around one every single game yes that is that is another strength that you have in the early game is that you should be able to get near the trade player and it's also like i would say plenty advantageous for you to do that you may as well go ahead and get um your gum network out there yeah basically ghosts ghost players i feel like only win in situations where they were able to lock up the points and then they've got so much gum in the way that there's no way for anyone to even think about yeah. um, how to possibly win Slay Ghost. Like most of the time, it's just too much effort and nobody wants to do it. Right. Um, but yeah, make sure you get your second carrier round one. That is your Achilles heel. Um, normally it's easily taken care of, but I mean, it can be kind of difficult sometimes. We would like to get a tech and second carrier, right? Uh, but so- sometimes you can't quite get all the way to the trade person. Yeah. Uh, and that uh, that sux when that does happen. <laughs> um, as far as like, I mean, obviously it would be great if you yourself can just take trade. You're you're great with yeah. trade round one. It's right. wonderful. Um, that's probably the ideal situation uh, for for ghosts is trade uh, round one. I actually messed that up in my most recent game and gave up tech 
uh, and then, or I went after tech instead of trade, not thinking about how I would have gotten so much more, right. even having to pay for, for, for the tech, um, instead of getting the one for free, uh, out of trade because ghosts on most maps, you can get to a position where you sort of, uh, can rival, not necessarily, not Hakan, but like compared to most factions get more neighbors yeah. than, uh, than most. Definitely. Um, Let's talk about, in general, just like tech with ghosts. A lot of people talk about PDS tech, uh, mostly because in base game, uh, it was quite good. Uh, it, well, it, it was wasn't fine. quite good. It, yeah. it, it, it was, it was, Imsen was pretty good at it and popularized, <laughs> I think, I think the form. But like many it, strategies we've had to cover on this show, it's good because we've seen Imsen do it well. And so it's, it has to be talked about because Imsen did it really awesome. Right. So, yeah, sometimes sometimes one player will be so good with a specific approach that it sort of stacks the deck in a way right. where it seems like, oh, that style of play is really viable, but it's really just that this one player learned how to do it quite well. Yeah. I think overall in POK, PDS Ghosts does not really need to enter your mind as a possibility. Those of you that want to experiment, that are interested in it, sure, do it. There's nothing I can say that's going to distract you from it. But for newer players that are interested in Ghosts of Creus and haven't gotten into it, I would not lead you down that path right um mostly eds in general i think is in a weird place in pok which is that there are a handful of factions that have these kind of special arguments for why pds makes so much sense for them but overall i think they've kind of lost their their i don't know i don't know if they ever had magic yeah. but if they did i feel like they've kind of lost it in the expansion i think bit. that's true for the factions that don't specifically i mean it's like it's true for everybody but argent and jolnar basically um right so yeah yeah so like like one situation like if we wanted to christmas land it right now i would say that it's entirely dependent on you getting the jolnar commander basically yeah, right. i guess if you're going to get that yeah you know if you're somehow going to get that alliance then yeah sure maybe you can do pds ghost i don't know why jolnar would let you have their alliance yeah. in order for you to play pds in the most annoying way that is difficult for everybody <laughs> right but yeah i mean i guess if they're going to do that then congratulations the problem with pds ghosts too is that requires a lot of commitment yes i mean we're talking about strategy card takes we're talking about you know spending from we're talking about spending when other people have construction and right. locking down various systems like i i don't think that i don't think it's real and i i don't think you need to worry about yeah. it the other thing too, and this is this this will sound like a super niche scenario, but you will be amazed how often it comes up. But like we kind of teased earlier that there's a bunch of agendas that are super mean to you. Uh, the ghosts are by far the most yep. attacked uh, faction by just the agendas, and yes. one of those agendas is specifically destroy all PDS in or adjacent to wormholes. Of course, so you can do this PDS ghost thing and then be completely thrust aside and you've based your entire strategy around a concept that is now gone all of them blown up and gone from you so it's, yeah it's kind it's it sounds like oh but that's just one out of the many agendas don't care comes up all the time people will put it on top if people see it they will put it on top and destroy your game it's gonna happen yeah that's that's what you have to think about with it is that it's it's not that it's not just one agenda out of many right it's one that if it's seen by the player with politics and that player is not you right then it's definitely 100% being put on on top. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't know. You, you just, you gotta be careful about it. Um, as far as uh, 
talking about the tech in general. The faction tech, I think, are both uh, kind of mediocre. I actually like Wormhole Generator a little bit better because it's a stall uh, and because it can help you set up. Yeah. Like, for some things that it might be hard to do, like, by spending the mechs, I guess. Yeah. Um, and sometimes IFF is, like, difficult to work with a group. Um, and but, stall. yeah, it, I mean, stall's great, right? I mean, if, if we got Sling great. Ray and this, we, we have, like, a lot of stalls to then do all our movement at the end of a round or whatever. Yeah. Um, I would say, though, I, I probably wouldn't blind buy it. Sure. Wormhole generator. Like, I would probably buy it because I'm like, oh, I really need a wormhole, like, right there. Mm -hmm. So let's buy that so I can put that wormhole there because I just need to get that there and I don't want to spend a mech to do it. Especially when, um, like, dimensional... those extra tech things come up, right? Like, when agendas, like, grant you more tech. It's like, oh, great, I get to get the bonus stuff I wouldn't have otherwise yeah. done. Yeah, stuff like that. Um, dimensional splicer, I think it's fine it's not great it's not going to change your game um i would research it in a situation where i don't know if it's two tech and two colors my two yeah. red tech would be ai dev and and dimensional splicer mm -hmm. um otherwise i probably don't really bother with it i mean it's good that you get to assign the hit right but how many like how how many fleet situations are you going to be in especially in the late game where that one hit is going to change the tide basically right. right it's cool that you get to assign it but that's basically it and then it's not like you get to assign it every round right. you know that's what i hate about the the flagship they took away the idea of rolling two hits yes. every round just because at the start of combat you I'll get one, one guaranteed yeah. hit that's true that's, that's not good that's very bad actually i didn't yeah. ever think of it in those terms exactly but yeah that's horrible that like my flagship yeah. could have scored six hits this combat and instead right. it scored three <laughs> right and obviously dim dim splicer you're going to use it on the carrier whatever whatever's doing the stuff um, but a lot of times what that means is that if you have dimensional splicer, then they have accounted for that in their capacity. Mm -hmm. um, if it's a very important fight is what I'm saying. Right. right. Um, obviously, in less important confrontations, I feel like it can really kind of screw people up and people can be like, ah, yeah, that's that got me. But most of the time, I feel like it doesn't actually mm -hmm. um, doesn't actually follow through. As far as unit upgrades go, I think I'm more of a carrier two person with ghosts then i am a dreadnought two person but basically they're kind of both interchangeable sure. um fighter two and destroyer two are your kind of like extras your supplementary unit upgrades destroyer two obviously just depends on who you're going up against um and uh fighter two fighter two is just great because it helps you gum really good right uh, as ghosts and i really enjoy that i really well, enjoy just having a single fighter sitting in every system as ghosts and, yeah and you can achieve not the the we haven't been you know amping up the commander but that does lean into that idea of at least every time i like mm -hmm. go through some systems i'm going to leave a fighter there and then if it's a fighter two next time i move i can just leave that fighter behind to serve as gum and as i go through the wormhole i'll get a new fighter to replace it so it's like not that big of a deal and that also re like there's some synthesis there there's like some synergy to car carrier two fighter two and the commander but let's not you know uh say that that's a home run <laughs> for the faction or anything right right yeah so that's the tech um i just kind of want to overview and then i got like kind of one final point to make um basically if you're playing as ghosts the most important thing to note is that you can pretty much move anywhere. Um, remember where wormholes are. Remember the very distinct rules for how they connect to each other. The ways that they do not connect to each other. Because it's 
really like kind of a lot to remember to be honest alpha and betas are connected you have an agent that will connect a destination system to any other wormhole system as long as the destination system has a wormhole in it whoa non-delta <laughs> non-delta there's a lot of exceptions to your abilities so remember where the wormholes are remember where you can get to um you're not a hard hitter basically yeah you're not somebody that but you, you're not somebody that uh strikes in such a way that it that it will scare other players basically uh but you are somebody that can get many places before anyone else can um you should always be on the lookout uh for the custodian's point i would say for sure you yeah. will not always have even a shot at it of course right. two influence um, at home kind of sells your sells your ticket two influence at you. home is bad i mean the taking malice round one is great sure um it, obviously if you can get the speaker token you probably will get custodians yeah. Yeah. you're a four commodity faction malice round one will probably lock it in for you but you're also kind of a thin faction so like generally i feel like if you're gonna have a slow round two that's gonna be rough yeah uh for just you in general because you're ghosts right. um because you're just kind of a you're kind of weak. Um, your mechs uh, are great, and you should keep in mind the late game win slate potential of them, like what we described before about how you cannot get a, a wormhole into another player's home system unless it's via the mech. The mech can get wormholes wherever. Mm -hmm. So always remember the flexibility of that mech ability. Um, always be on the lookout for the horrible agendas and other bad luck that might just run into you. The seventh player does not like ghosts very much. Yeah. Ghosts are almost always, you're almost always, you're going to be flimsy. Right. Basically. Um, you're encouraged to spread out, uh, and you don't have any abilities that are very punchy. Even dimensional splicer we talked about there at length is not punchy enough yeah. to kind of, um, I would say kind of change the tide. Um, I like that idea, Hunter, are you saying that you're very often spread out just by the nature of all the things you can do, which like sort of means like, yeah, every once in a while, all that spread out stuff is connected by the right wormholes where it can all collapse in on like one important target at the right time. But yes. it, it, it also so it's like you have a chance for an opportunity strike, but it means all of your stuff is always weak. That's the thing is it's like it's not like it's hard for ghosts to achieve a good play, but it's like. Yeah you can also be counterattacked with reckless abandon. Everybody yeah. can stop your win uh, almost every single time. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's tough. Um, I think my current theory with Ghosts is that in games where they don't get the Custodians, they have no shot of winning. And then when you get the Custodians, you have a little bit of a shot, mm -hmm. but you have to be a little bit lucky on the objectives right. in the early to mid game in order for that uh, to make sense. Um, but here's kind of my, my, my final word on it. So playing ghosts is like bringing a paintbrush to a knife fight. <laughs> your kit doesn't really help locking up the game. But if you remember your potential energy all the time, you Constantly. might find a creative path to victory. Yeah. Like when I was writing this, like this bit here, that's when I realized that you could do the thing where you put a wormhole in someone else's home system and you can make it easier to score rural distant lands. I had never done that in a game before. Yeah, yeah. It had never occurred to me to do that in a game before. But then when I was writing this, I was like, oh, that's something you, you could do. You do crazy stuff. Yeah. So that's the thing about ghosts is you just have to keep in mind all the creative like alleyways you have. Right. It's not like there's a lot of factions where there's just kind of this like set list of things that you do and that generally will spit out not necessarily a victory every time because only one player wins out of the six, yep. but it spits out a, a game state that looks like 
a possible win state. Mm-hmm. Ghosts don't really have that. Yeah. But it's kind of just like you're open to the possibilities. And if you always keep your eyes open, you're probably going to see something that you can do that might lead to that. Right. And then a lot of times it doesn't. So yeah. just ha- just keep your eye out yeah. if you're playing a sketch. Just as often, the super creative thing you can do really helps uh, Jolnar win or whatever. Like really yeah, helps somebody exactly. else win, even though it was a super cool thing that you did. It just didn't do anything for you. Uh, but hey, come right. on. You, but play with the table. You play with five other people. These are your friends. Just have fun with them. Right. Well, generally, Matt, I would say don't do creative things that aren't good for you. <laughs> I would I would not say I'm that. saying it ends up being good for like you. You do your you do your hero and you swap the tiles. and You're like, I think this is going to be good for me. And then Mentak is like, oh, that also makes it to where I can reach all the things I need to reach. And now that gives me a chance at a win or whatever. Like there was little things that you didn't see coming from your move. Yeah, I think, though, what I what I the thing about that point that I want to push back on, though, is like you actually see this problem, I think, with ghost players sometimes where they just want to do the creative thing because it's creative, yeah. not because it is actually going to help them sure. win. And right. I would say it's best to play ghosts with a little bit of restraint, too, because if you just come up with some goofy thing to do for no reason, you are probably just enabling Mentac to win or whatever. <laughs> so, yeah, just just like be creative, but at the same time, keep in mind, like you we we gotta be trying to figure out like how this is gonna help us yeah you know right uh like number one is always us yeah yeah get paid for stuff that's that's the thing okay well let's let's take a break real quick and then boy howdy gotta talk about arborec don't we Uh uh-oh welcome back okay this one has been a long time coming for old matt uh, I have been on record a few times saying this, and I'll say it again before this preliminary guide. I genuinely cannot think of a time I have ever played Arborek ever, 3rd edition or 4th edition. This is me learning how to play Arborek. I've watched dozens of Arborek games, but this was my first time with the hand on the ball, and I want to lead everything off with this, all right? Arborek stands, I get it. They are a cool faction. They're super cool. If anything, I think I, I, I said a similar thing about Muat, uh, but like with Muat, the stress of a final round with only having a single unit that can do anything, like I can only move my war son, I, didn't, I did not enjoy that feeling of stress. Arborek, every game I played as Arborek was just like, whatever, man, I'm just doing my thing. I'm not gonna win this. It's out of my hands now. I, like, I, I would have a winning path up until round four and then round five would hit. Oh, well, that's fine. This was fun anyways. Who cares? It's fine. The, the win escaped us. And so the theme of today's guide is this is a fun faction, and you should have fun with them. But please do not get it in your head that you can win very many games with this faction. It's incredibly hard. In, in a 10.6 player meta, this is one of the hardest factions to win with. Okay? Yeah. Have we done it? Have I properly... Ex- set your Wait, standards. Matt, does that mean... Whoa, whoa, Matt, does that mean that they're bad? Uh, Are you well, saying they're bad? I would bad? never. I would never say such a thing for fear of death. You're not saying death. they're bad, are you? <laughs> You're saying they're bad? I wouldn't dare. I mean, look at that agent. Okay, let's get into it. Let's talk about their stuff then, huh? Uh, let's, okay. Let's feed me, feed me, Seymour. Give me their abilities. <laughs> oh, okay. You want their abilities first? You want sure. their starting tech I want to. I want to do the abilities first. I want to do that. Abilities that. first. He's I, got his own way of doing it, folks. I know, man. I'm sorry. He's just got his own way. I like to keep Hunter, um, you know, on his toes. Yeah. 
Um, so their first ability of one is mitosis. Uh, it reads as follows. Your space docks cannot produce infantry. Ooh. At the start of the status phase... What? What? That's just bad. That's bad. That's King a great man. ability. Okay. That's great. <laughs> Nobody likes building them out of the space docks. Uh, mitosis. Your space docks cannot produce infantry. At the start of the status phase, place one infantry from your reinforcements on any planet you control. Very wow. good. So they're only... So if you picked up this faction, you would read that and you'd be like, so this is, this is just... A bad this is just a bad thing you just are a faction with a bad thing and it takes a couple extra steps of investigation to see that their infantry are special so hunter tell me about latani warrior so the latani warrior one is uh your traditional infantry in most ways it it's combat it hits on an eight okay uh it's it's cost is two for one however it has a production of one it builds it the things build. The things the, out of them. Your friends build more friends and osmosis, and they keep growing, and it just goes on forever and ever. So, of course, the idea here is there is an inherent snowball effect to the Arborek because one infantry can build one infantry, but then those two infantry can turn into four infantry. Those four infantry can turn into eight infantry. Those eight infantry can turn into 16 infantry, and the sky's the limit for how many infantry are on a single planet. Uh, it's doing all the other stuff in the board game that's going to be our constant hurdle. So let's talk about hurdles. Uh, Hunter, give me that faction start. All right, so the faction start... Um, we start with a technology which is Majin Defense Grid, one of the creme de la creme. Um, as far as starting units go, we start with one carrier, one cruiser, and no more ships that are that require fleet pool. Our starting units are one carrier, one cruiser, two fighters, four infantry, one space dock, and one PDS. We've got a PDS at home. But we do not have two C4I. And not only do we not have two C4I, we don't even make up for it with a third ship at all. We have among we just don't the even have worst one of starting units in the entire game. And you could say to yourself, but Matt, we talked about the snowball thing. I guess they're they're hindering Arborex start so that the snowball doesn't get started so fast. That's probably true to the intent, but turns out the snowball doesn't kick in until round six, and uh games don't they don't usually go that long. So yeah. it's it's going to be hard no matter what. Matt, I do want to tell you that the home system is in the the Faruban, the oh, Faruban system. Fun. Population 1. Oh, this is the juiciest bit of lore. Someone specifically called this out in the pre-errata that it is critical that we point out that the Arborek is one plant. One plant Arborek it's just population 1 plant. Every all the ships, all the infantry, the destroyers, the cruisers, it's all just one big plant. Mm -hmm. Doesn't really make sense at all, yeah. to be honest. The uh, Arborek is kind of breaks the, the game a little bit. Yeah. What's the uh, home system? So the government type is hive mind. Um, <laughs> the leadership is called the Arborek uh, with a mysterious disposition. Um, and they have expansionist tendencies. Yeah, okay. So what's um, the uh, planet? The planet is called Nesfar. Oh. And it is... It has three resources and two influence. That's probably one of my least favorite home system planets. That is, is that the worst home system in the... I mean, okay, it's not the worst because we kind of like one planet home systems, right? It's like mildly more defensive. But in terms of raw yeah. numbers, 
this is bottom of the barrel, folks. Three yep. three resources sucks to have, and two influence doesn't do anything for us uh, with anything else. So we start the game really bad on a really bad foot, and it's very difficult yeah. to get things going. Uh, so yeah. let's let's do some stuff. Uh, I, I want to hear about their agent uh, first, so we can talk more about their start. Yeah. So the agent is called Latani Os- Osfa. Osfa. Uh, and the little the the text underneath it says unity through peace. Not really sure what that means, but um, also aren't they all supposed to just be one person? Why does this have it's a not, name? There's no such. It's not unity when you're just the one. I'm not unified with myself, am I? I don't know. I, mean, I don't know how that. How works. can I be unified? Yeah, I don't know. So action: exhaust this card and choose a player's non-fighter ship. That player may replace that ship with one from their reinforcements that cost up to two more. Than the replaced ship. So if I want to have two carriers and four infantry, I can turn my starting cruiser into a carrier, and then I have two C4I and nothing else to my name. Uh, to, a yeah. fighter for each carrier. That's it. That that's no how trade that's ship. how decent my start is, unless I put a lot of effort in myself. So well, uh, you could you could secondary warfare to build a single destroyer, and now that can be your trade. Exactly. Ship. Where there's there's a few ways to get around the problem. No, that was of a joke, to... Matt. You shouldn't do that. That's, uh, that I'm would, gonna. That, that's I'm not bad. gonna. I'm not gonna say you shouldn't do that. I, there are yeah, reasons to maybe I, do the I, a destroyer. No, nah, I would. Give say me the tech. Maybe. Give me the tech before we start this horrible disagreement. <laughs> okay. Uh, faction tech. Bioplasmosis. It's a two green requirement. At the end of the status phase, you may remove any number of infantry from planets you control and place them on one or more planets you control in the same or adjacent systems. This uh, is really bad, especially because it's a two green requirement. It would not be so bad if it wasn't so far down a tree we uh, have no reason to go down and is in line with attack hypermetabolism. That is something we would kind of probably much rather have because if this faction could have a reliable command counter economy, they would maybe do quite a bit better. But without the command counters, things are always uh, incredibly rough for our brick. But yeah, this is like super transit diodes, except for it never happens in a timing that matters to you. That's the gist of bioplasmosis is like, yeah, everything moves, but it's in the status phase when I cannot immediately take use of it. And and the the usefulness of most abilities is like, I do it right now and it does something for me this activation so that I can then do the thing. This is like, you have to have so much foresight with Arborec. You have to see the entire round ahead of you to know exactly where you need to put all of your infantry if you're going to do bioplasmosis, which you just shouldn't. Uh, what's their other one? So their other one is an upgrade for their Latani Warriors. Uh, it's called Latani Warrior 2. Uh after this unit is destroyed, roll one die. If the result is six or greater, place the place the unit on this card. At the start of your next turn, place each unit that is on this card on a planet you control in your home system. This is just the normal unit uh, infantry two upgrade. Yep. But now they have a production of two, and they hit on a seven. Right. That's so really they, it. They get that combat improved. The big talking point there is that production two. Now a single infantry on a planet can build the two more infantry whereas before it's like you had this awful stacking problem uh this could have this could be cool this could be fine except we need to talk about the mech that was introduced in prophecy of kings yeah so the mech is called the latani behemoth it has a deploy ability when you would use your mitosis faction ability you may replace one of your infantry with one mech from your reinforcements instead uh, it's a cost to mech. Uh, 
It hits one on a six, like a traditional mech. And its abilities are sustained damage, planetary shield, which don't forget about that one. <laughs> yeah. And then production of two. Yes. So there's our two production unit. Uh, it costs a little bit more, obviously, but it's so much easier to get out than going all the way down the green tech path that kind of serves no other purpose for us. Um, that deploy isn't the worst thing in the world. Uh, I, I kind of like it. It's quite easy to have all of your mechs on the board by round two or three. Um, and yeah, the planetary shield is hilarious, especially considering the Omega to Majin. The idea being, uh, if if it were standard Majin, uh, this mech is probably even better. But because Majin got upgraded, the planetary shield just sort of exists on the mech rather than like procking Majin on planets you don't have PDS. Now Majin is just like, hey, it's kind of not bad that bad to have a PDS grid as Arborek because then you're doubly protected, I guess. Um, and yeah, the bigger thing is our forward mechs at the very least, prevent bombardment, which is kind of nice. Yeah. Um, where you want to go now, Matt? Okay, let's do, let's do, let's finish their agent. Actually, let's do their uh, promissory note. We should just get that out of the way. Yeah. Okay, so they have an Omega promissory note. It's called Stymie Omega. Um, after another player moves ships into a system that contains one or more of your units... You may place one command token from that player's reinforcements in any non-home system. Then return this card to the Arborek player. One of the weirdest promissory the weirdest. notes in the game. Yeah, it's pretty cool, but it is not very easy to sell. Because it is a defensive ability, you can never trade it to the person who it would matter to in the moment that it matters, right? You can't trade it to them as a player is about to move ships into their stuff because they're the defending player. They're not the active player. It doesn't count. So this is only a like, oh, in case something ever happens to you, you can use stymie. And stymie doesn't even stop the attack that's happening to them. It just says like, well, you're going to lock down some other stuff you didn't already use on this attack. So it doesn't really do anything, but you can have it. What you should try to have it in somebody's hand in round five, probably, so that like the really big, scary faction might have one less thing they can do. It's really not that good, and it's one of those promissory notes where you sort of tack it on to like make the price work for you. You are a three commodity faction, which means you don't make a lot of money anyways. Sometimes stymie is the difference of making a deal and not making a deal. You know, you yeah. you're about to get that fragment, and you're like, well, okay, I'll throw in stymie. Does that change your your feelings about this deal? And they'll go, um, okay, fine. I'll take stymie. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Uh, I, I like it when I have it. Yes. But it is not worth buying. Right. Which is weird. Right. That's a very weird place for it to be. Mm -hmm. uh, give me those last two leaders then. Okay. So the commander is called Derzuga Rofal. <laughs> Peace through strength, bud. Uh, and you unlock it by having 12 ground forces on planets you control. Mm-hmm. And the ability is after another player activates a system that contains one or more of your units that have production, you may produce one unit in that system. Yeah. Um, so it's genuinely not necessarily the hardest unlock in the world if you focus on it. What, what we're going to have in this guide is a, a real identity crisis of how uh, the kind of common thoughts uh, revolve around Arborek. The commander ability itself, being purely defensive, is not one that I feel any reason to rush for. It is useful to have in, like, round four and five, 
you'll have 12 ground forces by then. So don't yeah. don't focus on getting this. You might focus on getting infantry down for other reasons, but it is not because of this commander. So I just don't want you to get that part confused. You do not need to stretch yourself to make sure you hit that 12 ground force limit. But if you are playing a strategy that's like, well, I do want to make sure I get a bunch of ground forces down, that's fine. Um, this has a specific kind of Syner not synergy, but like relationship with your mitosis ability. Um, first pro tip for mitosis, which is where you either gain an infantry somewhere on a planet you control, or you convert an infantry into a mech. Uh, easy to forget, drop a little token on every single unrevealed public objective, and you'll never forget that ability ever again, because every time somebody goes to reveal the public objective, they'll be like, oh, uh, Arborek, you have this mitosis thing. Here you go. You right. should use that. Um, but the other thing is sometimes... Your mitosis infantry is the difference between unlocking Drazuga Rofall and not, because you can choose to just make a mech. And generally speaking, I would like to make the mechs first. I would like to ramp up my viable production through the mechs rather than the slow path of just trying to make all the infantry happen. The, the idea here being that mitosis nets you a ground force, whereas doing the mech ability does not net you a ground force. You stay at the same number of ground forces when you do mitosis if you do the mech deploy. So we can uh, get all our mechs out fast, but it's not actually slowly increasing our ground force thing. If we're doing mitosis, we are staying at the same number of ground forces rather than gaining. And I have found myself in like a round two status phase, that being like, should I just go ahead and do the infantry right now? Or should I get the mech so that I get the increased uh, uh, production supply on the planet where I need it or whatever? That is a thing I feel like I noticed in myself in the early game all the time is that sort of like push and pull of the commander. And I just want to stress like you, the commander's not pulling that hard. So so I would generally go for the mechs first. Yeah, and I just want to reiterate that the, the reason that picking the mech over the infantry doesn't net you more ground forces is that the mech replaces right. one infantry whenever it deploys right. but it's increase it's it's re in replacing it's still increasing your production which makes it i find right. generally more useful um, yeah so uh let's do our hero to round things off yeah so the hero is called ultrasonic emitter overgrowth is like the little text underneath it says overgrowth <laughs> um action produce any number of units in any number of systems that contain one or more of your ground forces, then purge this card, baby. Yeah. Okay, I've come a long way with this hero. Um, I like it a lot, actually. Um, I like it quite a lot. It is not uh, necessarily a game winner, but I do think it's critical to the Arborex arsenal of just making all of your stuff work. I think by the time you're ready to pop the hero, you really need the hero in that exact moment. It is not a game winner, but it's probably a game saver. You probably don't get flushed down the toilet because you pop the hero at the right amount at, at the right time. Um, the we didn't I didn't talk very much about the commander ability. I just said I didn't like it that much. It's because you only build one unit and almost always people will bring enough stuff to plan for the idea that you're either going to bring you're either going to build a mech or a dread. You either need it on the ground or you need to defend in the sky. And so you can only build a single unit when they activate your stuff and defensively that doesn't do it. So the the commander is not a reliable thing to ever lean on, but the hero absolutely is a reliable part of your uh 
course of the game strategy. Think about it like the Hakan hero, where it's like, listen, in round four, we know Hakan is going to do a big build in their home system or maybe a forward dock that's like a ton of stuff. Arborex is like, probably round four, you're going to activate the hero and build as much stuff as you can afford, but all of it is unlocked. So, I mean, my general thinking with the hero is do it as soon as possible, as long as the money is in the right spot for you to get a decent build off of it, and do it, like, at the beginning of the round. The worst thing you can do is use your hero at the very end of a round and not get to use anything with those unlocked uh, ships. Now, sometimes you have to do that because, like, you took a forward thing and then you use ultrasonic emitter to then, like, secure it. That's fine. But I would generally try to do ultrasonic emitter as, like, one of my first actions in a round three, four... God forbid it's round five. It's If it's round five, it's probably too late for you. I think the commander could be cool, just it, to go back to it real yeah. quick. I think the commander could be cool if you got to use Sarween tools I know. with that production <laughs> window, because right. then you would just frivol frivolously use it to throw down two extra infantry and just say, like, whatever, we'll just see what happens. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. But instead, it's just like... You know, let's say there's a situation where it's going to matter, that commander, the fact that you're going to get to build a dreadnought or whatever. I'll, all I have to do is wait for you to spend all your stuff. Right. Like, yeah, exactly. Like you're not going to save thing. Oh, man. Like money right. for it. And what you've just tapped into, Hunter, is literally the thing with Arborek is none of these abilities we talked about except for the agent and I guess mitosis. Agent and mitosis are some sort of economic gain for us, right? I would call them rather negligible. They're not like horrible, but everything else, you are fully limited by your actual total dollars that you that you have available to you. Your your commander is easy to bypass if people just wait till the end of the round and you've spent your money. Oh, you're not building anything now. And overgrowth, your your hero is limited by the amount of resources you manage to accrue. And we already talked about you're not a very good trade good faction. You don't get a lot of money. So you are fully limited to the amount of resources you have within your planets. And then you have like a handful of trade goods that you probably want to hold on to for some spend objectives in the late game. So it's just like right. a real difficult choice to decide to burn the very few trade goods that you you gained throughout a game uh and it's it's just a tough faction to to turn these abilities that are like about this sort of slow steady pace of growth and make them actually do anything for a win in the game the biggest thing is our, our number one hurdle in a game is we just like don't get to touch the speaker token. We, we almost always have to take tech or we have to take trade or we have to take warfare to where we almost never just get to take politics and do some speaker token control. Every time I played Arborek, it was just who knows if I'll be near a, a good speaker order in the final round. I will or I won't, but I don't have any say in it. It doesn't it just isn't up to me. And that's how my Arborek game is going to go, because I just don't. The good factions are defined by their ability to not have to take any particular strategy card to get what they want. Right. Yeah. And I would say that. So, like, if you ever see me take politics in a game, what it means is that I can score everything I can see. Yep. Everything I've got in front of me is scorable without me taking any particular strategy card. Right. So therefore, I'm taking politics because I don't need anything. Right. And now I can just get favorable speaker order for next round. Exactly. Um, and with Arborek, when are you going to be in that situation? <laughs> I can't imagine. Never. I feel like you would have to rig it to even create a situation where Arborek's like, you know what? I'll be having the politics. <laughs> Okay, well, let's let's talk about some more stuff with this. First, uh, tech things. Uh, there are two schools of thought, and it is basically 
yes or no sarween tools can we call them do we have to call them schools that makes it sound like very developed can we just call them two (laughs) two kind of mobs of thought (laughs) two kind of rabble rousing crowds of thought yeah and both of them are incredibly staunch in their opinions even though hey both of them lead to not a win both of these tech paths don't lead to a win so i don't care which one you do but there's an idea that you absolutely have to get sarween tools because you are missing out on way too much value the idea being every time you move any of your infantry you're going to get to do a production step at the end of that and even if you didn't have an intent to build anything if you have sarween tools you can just drop two more infantry there and you create a nice little slug trail this is great but the problem is sarween tools follows uh, follows hunter's law uh, you don't have enough money to tech reliably round one. In fact, I would say do not bother f- putting into your mental energy doing tech round one. You do not have time. Um, you are going to get stalled out. There's too many things that are going to happen. You might not get stalled out. You have a stall sort of inherent in your thing, but it, I think it makes it worse. So I just think you should completely ignore the idea of doing tech round one, which means you're not getting Sarween round one, which means you're getting Sarween round two. If tech pops late round two, Sarween isn't even going to do anything within round two, which means you're not getting any Sarween tools procs until round three. So are we actually gaining that much value off of Sarween tools? That's my yeah, big rant. There, there's an idea that, well, okay, we could sacrifice everything and make sure we get Sarween tools round one if we, if everything goes right. Or if we can get our hands on tech. There's a lot of people say, that say if you're doing like a multi-draft with Arborek, the only reason you play Arborek is because you got first in the picking order. You can guarantee you're going to get technology. You pop tech first action, get Sarween tools. Now you're ready to go. I get that. I get that if it's like in a tournament setting, I'm not touching Arborek unless I secure a very good speaker order. And like the idea being like, I can take speaker order one, still probably get a pretty good slice, and then no one's picking Arborek, so I can last pick Arborek because it'll just be left there, right? It's a bad enough faction that it gets left sitting aside. That that maybe has some viability to it. Uh, I don't know of tournament games where we've specifically seen that happen yet. Uh, I'd need to go back through the drafts, but... There's an idea there that I think is valid. And if you can get Sarween tools round one, I do think it's pretty good and you should do it. But I'm going to live in the world where Sarween tools is way too hard to get round one and doesn't really do anything for us round two, in which case I'm not teching round one. And I would rather go the AI development algorithm route because AI development algorithm is our fastest way into getting as many unit upgrades as possible. And that's all that might be all we do is AI dev find tech skips, maybe get a couple texts that feed us into as many uh, of the unit upgrades as we can possibly get. Because we really don't actually have time to go for blue tech. This is a non-blue faction guide for all of you blue folks. It seems like we front-loaded all the blue guides, and then we've had like no blue guides on the back half. But I think you get all of your movement and capacity out of uh, unit upgrades through AI dev. So that's our big goal here is like, as limited tech as possible and as many of those techs being unit upgrades as possible that's the general idea with tech are we just going to avoid carrier two and dreadnought two no no, no. if we can get a blue skip if we can get a blue skip we blue skip ai dev into carrier two if we can get a green skip we can get fighter two we can get uh cruiser two we can get all sorts of unit upgrades and they're all useful in their various different ways get 
any unit upgrade that works for your game. I don't hate Cruiser 2. I like it. I like it with Arborek. I get it. If you can get it early enough, if you get a green skip in your slice or whatever, or like a yellow skip, you can find a way to make it work if you research the right tech. You can maybe get Cruiser 2 by like round 3 and maybe do something with them. The big thing I like about Cruiser 2 is because of our agent. Our agent is going to do a lot of things for us because we are constantly upgrading units. As Arborek, you are never building a carrier or a dreadnought, generally speaking. That's not always going to be true. Round four or five, sometimes you just got to build a dreadnought. But we are almost always trying to build destroyers and cruisers and then converting those up with the agent. I know it's only one around, but we are that, that's just how many ships we're building is like, the destroyers might stay destroyers to help our fleet, and then we build one cruiser with the in intent that that cruiser is going to become a dreadnought too. And we can use our cruisers while we have them if the opportunity strikes. That's what I like about cruiser too, is sometimes it does make it worth it in the mid game, and then when the cruisers are bad in the late game, yeah, we're just going to give up our cruisers for dreadnoughts as we go throughout the game, and then we end the game with like more defensive, maybe slow dreadnoughts. I would say dreadnought too is the main unit upgrade we are probably not going to get access to. And that sucks, but we can make it work, generally speaking. Yeah, I just want to call out, though, that, you know, in round one, you're going to use the agent to turn your starting cruiser into a carrier most of the time, correct? Is that correct? Most of the time. Most. I, I really, I, you said it as a joke, but I genuinely like the destroyer. I like, I like a destroyer and a mech off a of warfare round one, and, uh... The destroyer turns into a carrier, and then the carrier moves my infantry out. Oh, I see what you're saying. So you get to keep the cruiser keep as cruiser. a trade ship. Yes. Okay. Yeah, that's that's a little different. What? what why do we need to build the mech though? Uh, the mech is just to get our production. The mech is is our production thing to get things out there. And generally speaking, because if we've moved stuff out, we can't build very much stuff anyways. Like we can't we can't build infantry out of our space dock. We have $3 to work with. We probably don't get any trade goods round one plenty of the time, especially like if we're having to hold everything back until we stall out, like maybe we're getting the destroyer. We just don't have a lot of money. So a mech is to me the best use of those two extra dollars. I don't need another cruiser round one and I can't build a bunch of infantry. So I guess I'll do the mech so that I can improve my production capacity next round. I feel like, so one thing I would like to try is Arborek. Okay, I like this idea, by the way, Matt. Yeah. I, uh, you, you won me over. Um, because of the trade ship part. But the yes. problem with the trade ship thing, the in in this narrow situation we're defining, like I, I, I wouldn't want someone to hear that and be like, oh, that's a great idea, I'm going to do that. If you can't get your trade ship to the trade player, there's no point in that play, I feel yeah. like. No, I think that's yeah. true. And, and I'll say this much too, the other big top dollar grab, uh, Hunter, I have to thank you for weakening warfare meta where people don't necessarily like taking warfare as much these days because Arborek lives and breathes in warfare. Uh, there, there is no better warfare faction, I would say, than Arborek. The idea that I'm going to just move all four of my infantry out on turn one and build right. stuff and then deactivate it and then move all of that somewhere else, that is significantly more doable than anything else. Warfare round one guarantees you a way better round two than tech round one. So even in the it's scenario true. where we're talking about I got speaker token in a multi-draft, I still would take tech. I would still take warfare so that I can fill out my slice and be ready to go with more ships and units everywhere. The only thing I hate about the warfare play with Arborek is the fact that you're now going to have to build, like you have your three bucks to play with, right? Yeah. And you got to spend it all already. Like, I don't know. Yeah. It's just, the it problem sucks. is the money. Yes. It, 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 
It, hey, it would be that cool never goes away. <laughs> that feeling never yeah. goes away. It's always about right. the money as Arborek. <laughs> it's, always, it's always about the money. I wish like the Arborek home system was like a three planet home system and each planet was only worth one resources. Right. So at least like that would be miserable, right? And it would be sure. bad for the late game. But at least you would have these three resources separated out and not mm -hmm. in one stack together. You get yeah. me? Yeah, yeah, it sucks to have just like big chunky amounts of plastic because really what you want to do is with every activation, you feed out a little bit. You don't want to do one big build if you can help it. Now, I'm going to say there's going to be a part of this guy where I talk about you actually probably are just doing one big build per round uh, because yeah. of how many command counters you have. Uh, just to round off tech, I will say we talked a lot about the upgrades thing. The other idea within that is like you are probably focusing on red, yellow or blue, red. I don't, don't get green tech at all unless you're getting a single green for Cruiser 2, but honestly, Cruiser 2 isren't that worth it. Cruiser 2 is really only worth it if you get the green skip and you're going red yellow. Uh, I think PDS Arborek is a good idea. We will talk a bit more about why that is. Majin obviously is part of that. We can just make our stuff wildly defensive. Um, it is such a hard conversation to have about Arborek in terms of what is and isn't win more. Um, but I, I want to get to that later. Um, so so we'll get there. Uh, let's let's finish up some early game stuff. War, Warfare round one, I already said, is like the big deal. Obviously, tech and trade are huge for you as well. Trade gets you the money you need to do a lot. So, you know, take that every chance you can. Um, I actually don't think there's like a bad strategy card for Arborek because at the end of the day, the agent does get you out of jail, right? You can turn that cruiser into a carrier if you have to, and then you'll have an okay round. The other thing I like about the destroyer build, though, I want to say this, is sometimes you keep the destroyer and you turn the cruiser into a dreadnought round one because you only need to take a single planet system anyways, right? You don't have to get the second carrier. Your second carrier can be a dreadnought. Um, and, and that's the other reason the destroyer is just a cheap build to get a trade ship out there and your, your trade ship is now your destroyer. Um, but the, the round one agent can also be that second carrier if it has to, and that's when you're like stuck with politics or leadership or whatever else, sometimes construction. I don't, I don't hate construction as, uh, as Argent. Getting a bunch of PDS down on my first couple planets means when I'm at my weakest, which is like round two, I'm incredibly snipeable. Uh, if I get those early PDS down, nobody's going to touch you because they they're, they're not going to get your planets straight up and down. They, they don't have what it takes to take your planets when you have an infantry, a PDS, and Majin uh, firing at them. So uh, I, I found myself doing the secondary of politics a lot as Arborek because round one and round two, I generally could not afford to both do warfare and tech. The big thing is you're almost never doing the secondary of warfare because it's like half useless for you. You can't build infantry out of that space dock at home. So yeah, you're sometimes getting the ships out there, but you would almost always rather build the ships on the front line. So you're almost never doing warfare secondary, which means you could afford to do extra secondaries per round. You're probably better served saving the command counters, but I did find having a bunch of action cards gave me something else I can do within my rounds. And to go against hunters, please don't extort people in really shallow, stupid ways. I don't know that Arborek has any other options <laughs> than trying to get any uh, inch of money that, 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 that they can find. So I was doing nasty reactor meltdown threatens. I was doing all of the gross stuff that isn't fun, uh, but it was like my effort to stay alive and get the amount of money I need to accomplish my basic necessities. Yeah, Matt Matt was willing to play Arborek in a way that I would def define as unethical in, in the board game space. <laughs> yeah. uh, I would say it's not ethical play. 
um, shouldn't do it. I, I would say that what Matt just said is outside the bounds of what I would consider ever yeah. when playing Twilight Imperium. I would rather, you know, I would rather just die. Just and in Hunter's world, game. Arborek literally never ever wins compared to my world where... Um, oh shoot! They also don't. Oh, win. did you oh, win? Well, did you win? No, no absolutely not. Absolutely no, but not. you, but you did. You did sully yourself, did you not? <laughs> you did. You, you did, did carve a shard name. of your soul off. <laughs> you created a horcrux, Matt, <laughs> with your horrible, horrible extortion plays. <laughs> Okay. Just like the old classics too. Oh. I'm just like I have a reactor meltdown. Who's going to pay me? Needs to pay yeah. me. I want one from I you. I want it. one from you. Yeah. 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 So I, I mean, nasty. yeah. My reaction to that is to just be like, just play it on me. That's what I like. Yeah. Yeah. Is no, no extortion. Just play it on me. Sure. Um. So, anyways, generally Zarbarek, I do want to leave a slug trail if I can. However, my big issue right now is I have been advocating sort of a ships first. Uh, method of Arborek, which you'll see a lot of people disagree with. A lot of people say infantry first, but I think infantry first doesn't pay off uh, quickly enough because here's the big thing. Ships are way more expensive than infantry, and I would rather get ships to do something for me in the mid game, and then when I pop the hero, there is no production limit on the hero. It doesn't matter how many infantry I have, which means the best bang for my buck is as many infantry and fighters as I can fit, as I can afford. That's all I'm building off the hero if I can help it, is a billion infantry and fighters everywhere where they go. Fill up every carrier and space dock and dreadnought with a fighter, and then do everywhere else with infantry, especially like the targeted places that really, you can have a single infantry on one planet, and that can drop 10 infantry onto that planet when you pop the hero. So I don't see any justification for why I would focus so hard on infantry early and then i have no ships to accomplish th anything with when i pop the hero i'm gonna have like 12 dollars. what am i gonna get four dreadnoughts whoop-de-doo like I'm, i can't do anything with the stuff i build off of the hero if it's building ships i would much rather build infantry and fighters so that's why i think you get your mechs out fast so that you have the production limit to keep up with a couple infantry and a cruiser a couple infantry and a destroyer off of that build just small just enough to get by everything we do as arborek is just enough to get by but that is also why that slug trail of infantry is very important if you leave a planet without an infantry later that only makes your hero useless there you have to have the unit with production on that planet to get the hero pop off there can I tell you one thing I don't like about that, though? Yeah. The hero build, one of the best things about it is that you get to build with unactivated, and they're unactivated. Yes. So I feel like if all you're building is infantry and fighters, it feels like kind of a whoop-de-doo as far as that aspect of it. I agree. Like, I oh, the, the infantry are unactivated, but it's not like you're going to do anything interesting with those infantry versus a bunch of ships that are unactivated yeah. which are probably going to in a surprising way make a difference maybe i don't know maybe my not. only argument to that would be i i am generally focusing a bit more on fighters than just the infantry I, what i've generally done with the infantry is like hey there's three planets i definitely have to keep those get a lot of infantry and then i fill up the fighters and a lot of times building a bunch of fighters will be enough to actually make it to where your carrier is going to break through the big combat you need to do. So you're, you're building unactivated fighters to help with your carrier and its attack. But there's going to be times where you have to build a few ships too. My big point though is Arborek doesn't, isn't Mr. Moneybags, which means you're never doing your hero 
and then building a war sun off of the hero and spending all of your money on a single war sun is not favorable in any sense of the the word and so kind of i'm i'm using that logic to extend it i have no interest in using the hero to build my flagship a war sun or even really any dreadnoughts ever um so the best bet is you probably get one carrier off the hero and i think i did that both of my games where i ended in really good positions in the end and speaker order was the main thing throwing me off of any sort of winning position you get like a carrier at one of those forward positions, and that is going to be your unactivated thing that does something. You know, three bucks on a carrier, and then a bunch of fighters and infantry or whatever. That's sort of the idea. Cool. So, uh, starting with Majin, uh, routinely means uh, that being on the front lines means two infantry and a PDS on every important planet is enough to scare almost anybody off. Uh, Yin is uh, is not going to apply to that. Uh, Yin's going to going to mess your day up. But outside of that, like two infantry plus Majin, Majin meaning you score like an automatic hit at the beginning of combat if a PDS is there. Also, the PDS is firing at the infantry as they come in. Uh, it's it's usually enough. So I think lightly defending all of your planets with two infantry, and then anytime you need to go back and activate those planets, you know, two infantry on a two-planet system, you still got four production there. That's still enough to get by. And I'm always just doing enough to get by because I don't need too much in one system and not enough everywhere else. I need a little bit everywhere so that when things come up, I have stuff everywhere in my slice to then divert into the new goal or whatever it is. So um, I, I'm generally not advocating for fighter two as well within this uh, because I just, you, you almost always don't have enough capacity for fighter two. But the, the, the last thing with all of this is the reason Starween Tools is harder to use is I think Arborek is a command counter starved faction and so this idea that like oh you're getting like three activations every turn that you're building out of and you're getting extra infantry i just don't think that goes anywhere because i actually think i'm doing one primary build per round just like everybody else but my faction advantage is that primary build is always on the front lines exactly where i need it i'm never building at home unless i need to defend at home i'm only building where i need the stuff to be and that's a little bit how i limit my command counter usage but i'm generally speaking, using just as many command counters as everybody else and not getting much out of it. At the end of the day, here's the thing. You can talk to Arborek nuts, crazy people, the, the ones that just are such big stands for it. And they're going to talk about all of the Arborek optimizations. And they're probably right. But at the end of the day, you can optimize. No, well, come on, man. No, 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 they're not probably right. Listen, there are ways to optimize Arborek. But those things still don't inherently lead to a win is my problem. The Arborex stands uh, right, are just these statistics spreadsheet people that love to watch the numbers do as much as they possibly can. But at the end of the day, the Arborex just doesn't have big numbers, which means they don't get the win. They can't take politics, so they lose. That's almost literally the end of that's it. Like it's you, because you can't take politics, you lose. Good day, sir. You stole fizzy lifting drink. You get nothing. Yeah, I think that. So, like, why can't, why do you have to play Arborek to win? That's what I say. Sure. Why do you have to play Arborek to win? I think that, you know, like, I think you just got to eat your neighbors. <laughs> like, that's what you got to do. Yeah. Eat your but neighbor. you're not even that right? good at that. Like, you, it's still, you're not even doing that until round three anyways. And if they see you coming, you're so slow. Like, it's hard to even accomplish 
eating a neighbor. I no, I, I could do it. Yeah, I, I could do it. it. <laughs> I could do it. It's not hard. Yeah. You just got to not worry about the victory points. Right. Eat your neighbor and then see what happens. That's what I would say. Yeah. I want to see that game. Just yeah. eat your neighbor. See what happens. My idea. And, and fully eat them. Do it honorably. Excuse <laughs> them from the game. Uh-huh. Get them out of there by round three. Okay. <laughs> Get them home. You know, drive them home. Tuck them in. Tuck them in. Pay for their lift. Whatever you got to do, but just do it like a gentleman. You just got to eat your neighbor. Yeah. All right. I I think that you play shallow on all for all objectives. That's why I like PDS Arborec. Is at least I'm not caught off guard by structure objectives. Uh, I do set up for blue and red or red and yellow because I want to be prepared to do two and two colors. I want AI dev so that I can do two and three unit upgrades if those come up. I'm just trying to qualify for as many objectives as possible and focusing too much on one of the things in Arborex's toolkit cuts you off from all of the other points. So they are forced to stick shallow and not play to the most of their advantages because their advantages don't lead to the points. Uh, so I think beyond that, like you can be good at control objectives. You can try to eat your neighbor, but you almost always need a colluding partner. And I've found that that has worked too. You can you can pincer a shared neighbor. Uh, I, we didn't even do it to the full extent, but me and Kaluan in that one game were on either Whoa. side of a Hakan player, and there was supposed to be at one point an idea that we both pushed in on the Hakan player. That didn't end up paying out, but there was a there's a possibility of doing that, especially to like maybe weaker factions with less money. I have an edit. I have okay. an edit for that strategy that I think could work. This is uh, live theory crafting live edit. right now. Live on Twitch, we're theory <laughs> crafting. Uh, shout me out in the comments. Uh, so here's what you do. You reach out to your neighbor's neighbor. Exactly. And especially if it's Jolnar, right? This would be perfect for Jolnar. It is. And you say, hey, I no, but you don't understand where I'm going, Matt. That's fine. Because I got an edit. So you, you don't say, hey, let's be teammates and we'll both push in. You say, hey, I'm crazy and I will <laughs> eat my neighbor, uh-huh. okay? Give me money, research agreement, yeah. whatever, and you can be sitting at a table with five players total. One of them is Arborek, okay? <laughs> Do you no want to turn this six-player game into basically a four-player Give me money. And then you got to hope that they give you too much money and right. things get wet and wild. Exactly. Okay? Get paid to as a mercenary maniac. Yeah. Eliminate your neighbor by round three. Pay for their lift home. Right. It's a gentlemanly thing to do. Do the right thing, That is everybody. not that far off from what... Cluen gave me research agreement so many times and kept feeding me money. Uh, and then we just didn't kind of do the rest of it. And then, hey, Cluen just didn't do it, it. turns out. Uh, yeah. But... The, just the threat, didn't do it. I think the threat of Arborek is always there, and that's part of their meta problem, too, is the idea that people are actually always kind of scared of them, even though they're not going to win the game, but they could kind of screw up your whole day. I do firmly believe that Arborek can, can secure both of their equidistance, no matter, like, they definitely, if they want to take those equidistance, they can take them from, like, everybody but, like, Titans and Sar or something like that. You, you can get your equidistance. You should be able to sit in a fat slice. That should be possible for you. That doesn't mean it does anything meaningful doesn't mean it makes you win the game but you can sit in a more comfortable slice than a lot of factions because once you take those you're probably going to hold them um so we talked about the hero uh being uh as early as possible i survive on light carriers and cruisers the occasional dread and then use the hero to fill up the infantry and fighters but the theory to everything here is do just enough to get by 
Arborek is not a great faction, but they don't have to be a horrible faction. And that's the final idea here is I ended all of my games with a path to victory if I could have just gotten that gall-darned speaker token. I had a path to 10 points every single time, but it didn't mean I had the impact where it counted to then be able to actually score those points in the status phase of the final round or whatever. Yeah. But I almost always yeah. was getting all of the objectives I wanted to get. I was spending money in good ways. You're, you're building on the front lines. You don't need blue tech when you always build on the front lines, right? You were all Your one movement stuff just slowly crawls across the board, but you can maintain that momentum decently well. Um, but at the end of the day, you can be thwarted by other players in the places where it matters and when they want to do damage to you. They can be stingy with you on trade deals and you'll just like never afford the economic objectives in the way you want to. There's a lot of stuff they can do from a meta perspective that l just locks you out of aspects of the game. And that's it. That's where you lose is because the other players just decided not to play ball with you. And that's very easy for them to do because you have nothing to offer them to change their minds and your extortion threat or your, your like threats of like, well, I'll eat you are like, 75% of what, like, the other extortion-y powerful factions can do. When Sardak wants to, like, go ham on somebody, they can probably take as many planets as they really want to if the land bridges are there. If L1Z1X wants to eat a neighbor, they eat a neighbor. Um, if Sar wants to do that, they do that. Arborek doesn't sit on that same ground, so your threats don't pack as much of a punch. Um, but if you have a no, contingency... No, no, what? no. No. You think they no. pack the punch? Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. <laughs> and I'm not talking to you, Matt. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to everybody else. Next time you play with me, everybody at home, okay? And I'm playing as Arborek, all right? You better be nice to me because I'm thinking of, I'm eating you. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm going to eat you. I'm going to have you. I'm here to now, ruin one. Does that mean does, day. that mean you, that, does that mean that, uh, you know, there's lots of factions that it's impossible for me to eat? Yeah. There's a lot that aren't where it is possible, where I am going to eat you. Okay, so you better be nice to me. Maybe, uh, maybe instead of X minus one, you just we just do a straight wash. You know what I'm saying? Maybe you don't want to chance it. Maybe be nice to me because I'll send you home in round three. I'll pay for your lift. Okay, <laughs> gentlemanly thing to do. I will buy you a lift to go home right now. Round three, you're out of here. I, you'll you'll be you'll be home in time for supper. I'll pay All for right? your Popeyes, buddy. I'll I'll buy you Popeyes. Okay, <laughs> love that chicken and Popeyes. All right, so. Just saying, all right. Just saying. I mean, I have done it before. I have eaten a neighbor yeah. as a, as a, it was Mentak I ate as a, as Arborak. Not the hardest faction to eat. Sure. I feel like, yeah. but yeah, that's brutal. And you call me unethical. You just send a friend home. You just kick him off. You kick him out of your house. Oh no, it's plenty ethical to use violence in <laughs> a violence game, Matt. <laughs> It's not outside the bounds it's of the not, game. But so it's not ethical to use extortion in a game about bribery and extortion. You're extorting and this the extortion plays that you come up with are not within the bounds of the game because they're <laughs> annoying. No one would design a game and just be like, everyone should be annoying that plays this and do annoying things. You do one reactor meltdown nasty business and you're barred for life. That's the theory. Yeah. That's the that's the that's all that's all that matters anymore, y'all. Well, okay, fine. Arborex sucks, and you should just eat your neighbor anyways, so that one yeah. person at this table is having fun. Yeah, there <laughs> yeah, that's, you go. That's the, that's the real threat. I either eat a neighbor, or I make every action card just 
awful for everybody, for the whole table. And I'm going to waste everybody's time threatening all of you with action cards. That or eat one, eat, uh, eat Dennis. Do you want Dennis to go home or you want this to take 14 hours? Hey, Dennis is going home with a free lift and Popeyes. <laughs> like, Dennis is fine, all right? It's, it's, when, when you do annoying action card plays, it's everyone that suffers, you exactly. know? What do you, is everybody getting lifts and Popeyes, nope. Matt? No. Nope. Are we all getting free That's lifts my and threat. free Popeyes? That's the yeah. either or. All right. That's the either or. That's it. I'm done. I want to thank our weird bows. Big Al Cappuccino, Squeamish Emu, Billy, Brasper, Brian, Kalu, and Goondock, Son of Leto, Istoria, Alice, Emlashevsky, Sunfax, Absol, Ricky, Rwise, Fancy Zeeling, Ignoring My PDH, a PhD, wow, that one came out wrong, <laughs> and Dark Jutsu, and I want to thank our mama's lovely larva, Patience of Virtue, my son is also named Bort, Sturmy Sturm, Boo Poo, Nerf Zerg, Tautology is what it is, Dober Hwawa, Frank G, Gaskio, Rekka, Jadine Jedi, Carnal, Nuclear Pasta, Rolo, Uncle Batty, Teddy's Jam for You, and Alpha Squid. Yeah, all right, Galactic Council poll is ready. Here are your options, okay? There's four of them. Vote on whichever one you like. Uh, first option, guide to the SCPT community discord. So what is this episode? This is an episode where it's a deep dive into the SCPT community from your two hosts, Matt and Hunter. We tell you about what the community is, a guide to navigating it, how to understand it, how to yeah. not feel put off by it, you know, cause it's pretty weird. Um, and just, yeah, an, an, an invitation to join it by just an explanation of uh, its its silliness. In, in it, you um, will get to learn such things as, why does cages use the trumpet emoji all the time? I'm not going to reveal yeah. that now, but you'll learn we'll it have if to you ask, pick this option. We will have to ask cages <laughs> why he does that. Not really sure. Um, second option, root the Marauder expansion, first thoughts. So this is contingent on the idea that we will receive the Marauder expansion soon. We might be. We might not be. If we don't get it this month, then you won't get this episode this month and it will be delayed. Okay? Yes. Understand? Third option. Qualifier round report featuring Stads. Stads will come Stads has been doing his own show within a show where he summarizes each qualifier game uh as its own separate podcast that you should check out. It's called The Qualifier Report. Check it out. Uh, it's great. Uh, and we would have Stads come on and kind of summarize the entire qualifier round with the three of us. And then here's your last option. This is uh, this is kind of a this is this is kind of something we've never really tested before. Uh, never gone this way. I hate it. <laughs> so this no, not because you hate it, because we both hate it. Okay, <laughs> because we both hate it. Um, so this is, we're calling this Matt's Ultimate and Hunter's Normal Top 10 Board Games of All Time. So we list our top 10 board games ever. Mine being a normal list. A mere mortal human list. Matt's being an ultimate tastemaker exquisite class list that you will never fully understand, you little punk. That's, that's what it is. So kind of a dice, dice tower... Dice Tower presents Ugh. Matt's Ultimate and Hunter's Normal Barf. Top 10 Board Games of All Time brought to you by the Dice Tower. Tom Vassal himself <sighs> has ordered us yeah. to do a top do 10. Do it the That's way I lovely. did it for 15 years. 
I'm Tom Vassell, and I control everything. Yeah. Tom Vassell told us that we got to do a top 10 board games of all time. He ordered that all content create. It was it was a memo we received. It was, to, it, was it just said from Tom, and it said, I decree all board game content creators must do top 10 lists. Yeah. Great. And I and and we read that yeah. we got this like three years ago when we started the well, show. It was written it's in blood and it showed up on my doorstep. And so. a cr- yeah, a crow <laughs> delivered it. It was delivered by a crow. Okay, written in blood. Oh, okay, okay. And Homebrewers Guild. Uh, we did it. We finished 2021's Homebrewer Guild things, which means we are firmly into the new stuff. Hunter, can you summarize the project for 2022? All right, here's where we're at right now. Our goal uh, in the coming month in February is to build a, a basically a save of the game that you'll be able to download and play with um, that includes a basically litany of submitted homebrew stuff. Yeah. And the idea is all the components would be homebrew. We have this wonderful library of homebrew components that we've, we've spent a year uh, workshopping. Now it's time to take all that stuff and play test it and refine it. Yeah. So pretty much from now on, ev- everything is acceptable mm-hmm. to be sent in. Like we're done with the going component by component. We are in we're we're now in alpha for <laughs> the Space Cats homebrew project, uh-huh. which means it's going to start feeling like a complete game. It's going to be messy at yep. first because yep. it's all going to be homebrew, which means we're going to have to, man, those factions. Oh, my oh, God. Oh no. Those factions and the objectives are all going to be, it's gonna, I mean, it's going <laughs> to be nuts. It's going to be nuts. Okay. But the idea is we're going to take all of it and we're going to do our first public play test. Hopefully, the idea is that the public play test will happen. It will get a date. The, the target right now is third weekend of February. Don't even bother trying to get me to say that's for sure when it happens. <laughs> Don't even just yeah. get away from the me goal with of the homebrewers guild. Generally speaking, though, is like a playtest stream per month. That's the idea. Yeah. We 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 work on we workshop stuff all month. Other playtests can happen. Folks can get games together, but we will stream a playtest of our own each month. Hunter and I'll probably alternate those. I'd love to occasionally play together on those, but it's a scheduling thing. It'll you know it comes yeah. and goes. Hey, you can rate this podcast on uh, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you listen to it, and that rating helps improve our visibility and gets more people to play this wonderful board game that we all love. You can also find our website, spacecatspeaceturtles.com, for more information about our Patreon, our Twitter, our Discord, our merch, and all of the stuff that we do. Uh, You can also send us This Imperium Life and Play of the Week stories at spacecatspeaceturtles at gmail.com. And Hunter, I have one for you right now if you would like to hear it. Give me it. This is I from, want it. This is from Banner Spear. Thank you, Banner Spear. Sar has ravaged half of the galaxy. First, by eliminating Nomad. Eliminating Whoa. Nomad. Wait, what? I don't know if this is eliminating or like an effective eliminating. We'll see. I don't. I don't remember what happens. Uh, That's messed nomad. up. Yeah. I like. I don't know if Sar can actually eliminate Nomad most of the time. Yeah. Right. Like that's right. exceptional. Right. Eliminating Nomad, pressuring Hakan to give trade goods, or they would have been next. Won't you be my neighbor map only made the Sar snowball extremely fast with a lucky maw of worlds for light wave deflector and unit upgrades the Sar's fleet are able to go anywhere at a moment's notice, and if someone even puts a finger up against Sar, they would be in trouble. And Sar has eight points 
and a four-point lead to the Ghosts of Creus and me due to all of the objectives being control objectives. It's SARS game, baby. I'm Arborek. Isn't this a fun... This is a perfect... We did Ghosts and Arborek, and this is Ghosts and Arborek. I, I shit, this is on purpose. Oh, okay, great. Wow. I'm Arborek on the other side of the galaxy, trying to do as much as I can to help Yin and Hakan. You let Arborek, Ghosts, and Yin into a game with Sar, Nomad, and Hakan. Chaos. Anyways. <clears throat> uh, the Chaos left apart emeralds. from a few Creus... Uh, I can help Yin and Hakan, the ones who are left apart from a few Creus fleets in Creus and Malice, who is helping Sar for not killing the rest of the Creus. There are three Sarballs, one near Hakan's home system and two near Yin's home system. But due to the Van Hog, the two Sarballs are in a standoff. Yin knows that the Sar has the ability to just go to the system and replace the fleet even without fleet logistics, which the Sar does not currently have, and that he wouldn't be able to rebuild the huge van. Yin, with politics, chooses to send the Van Hog to the fleet worth the most that is in the Lazar Saculac system and destroys it. Then, I see an opening. I quickly message Hakan and Yin that I see a way to defeat Sar, but they need to trust me. The Sar fleet near Hakan's home system is locked, but the Sar has warfare. I have tech and signal jamming in my hand, and Hakan has construction and more than enough trade goods. I give my signal jamming to Hakan, and it is played on the Sar fleet on the Riggles. Sar does not realize anything and says, What are you doing? You must realize that I've already won. My port lead is too great. My economy is the greatest in the galaxy, and my fleets are the mightiest. You cannot defeat me. I say, I know, but he can, as I give my alliance and three trade goods and I activate Darien. The Sar player is first dumbfounded, then in shock as the Yin player says, I use the Arborek Alliance to build my flagship. Next, Whoa. the Yin sends the Van Hog to the Riggles to destroy the second Sar fleet. Next, the Hakan gives the final blow by activating Darien and giving Yin eight trade goods. Sar can do nothing but wait until it's Yin's turn and he sends the Van Hog to the empty Alpha Wormhole where the last of Sar's plastic is. Almost all of Sar's planets are taken and Sar is eliminated. Though I won the game, I didn't take the credit, but I said that the Yin, Hakan, Arborek won together. Never underestimate the Arborek Alliance. Okay, well, yeah, don't underestimate it, but to be fair, Banner Spear. This was a buck wild situation. Okay. I don't I mean I don't want every player sitting down and being like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, this this alliance is gonna lead to some sort of crazy game-winning combo where we destroy every single SAR fleet with yeah. you know, just the use of this alliance. But yeah, this is an amazing, this is awesome. amazing play. This has been my favorite play of the week for a while, I yeah. would say. Yeah, three Van Hogs in a row. That goes up there at the top. Up there at the yeah. tippity top. <laughs> That's up at the tippity top of all the ones I've heard. Like, would be, oh, we should, we should, oh man, we'd have to re-listen to so much of the show. Yeah. But wouldn't it be cool if we like re-listened to all of Every them and like ranked the them? That'd be fun. Yeah. Re-listen to all that. of the, <laughs> yeah, somebody do that. Somebody do that for us. Someone who uh, likes listening to this show, am I right? Hey, what? I like listening <laughs> to it. It's a great show. I mean, I like... So you got to check out our other show, Old Gamers Almanac. Yeah. That's a cool show. This week, we're talking about Sonic Adventure. Oh, no. Woohoo!
<laughs> That's us. And like we always say on Space Cats Peace Turtles, I wanna fly high. I wanna fly high. Oh no. Thank you for listening to Space Cats Peace Turtles. And thanks to Ben Prunty for the use of his music. You can find more at benpruntymusic.com and benprunty.bandcamp.com. Pax Magnifica, Bellum Gloriosum. <laughs>